Welcome to Light Trees and News, everyone. Pop culture, politics, and a sprinkle of treason. I'm joined today by Meredith. Hello. How are you today? Oh my God. So amazing. I'm just kidding. How are you? Uh, well, I slept a lot, which was quite lovely. And I feel like that's probably contributing to my decent mood. You know what's wild? So, <laughs> not to brag, everybody, but I did go to a show last night. I'll just say it. I don't care. I'm I'm not afraid of people canceling me. I went and I saw fucking Harry Potter, okay? Look, is J.K. Rowling a vicious transphobe? Yes, she is. Does she get paid by the show? No. So, it's not like I was putting money into her coffers. Um, but believe it or not, it is so easy to win the lottery. Uh, for Broadway these days because of the pandemic and the fact that no one wants to go to these shows. So you can go see shows for like dirt cheap right now. So I had never seen Harry Potter all these years. Like I remember, do you remember when it first came out and it was two days long? So now it is three hours. Long. Now it's three hours long, which is great. Um, But I had never seen it all these years, you know, like the tickets were so expensive back in the day. And now, I mean, you can win tickets for like truly like $30. It's really, really dirt cheap. So I was like, let me go see this thing. It is indeed so fun. Great practical effects. I am amazed, however, that it's not a musical. (laughs) (laughs) I really was raised for these people to sing at some point and they don't. And I was just like, I'm sorry, what? Like everything about it seems like it should be a musical and it's not. So that's a little off-putting, and there's a lot of cape work, as you would imagine. Like, every transition is a lot of cape work, so I started to anticipate that to the point where I laughed every time, <laughs> every single time there was a transition <laughs> with fabulous cape movements. I was like, of course, this is a part of it. Um, but yeah, it was great, but the reason I'm bringing it up is I got home at, like, midnight, because it's a three-hour show, and I was like, oh, shit, how am I going to feel in the morning? I slept like a fucking baby and it turns out all I had to do was like actually do stuff during the day to get tired enough to have a good night's sleep where I don't wake up at like three o'clock in the morning (laughs) yeah it's amazing how like I've been thinking about this too where doing small things has left me feeling really exhausted but also yeah you it is amazing how no wonder we were actually functional people before because we used our brains and bodies to get stimulation that didn't involve sitting on our couches or like watching our pets. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Um, so it turns out that breaking news on light trees and news. If you do stuff, you sleep better. I guess that's my, my takeaway from it. Not to be controversial or yeah. pretend like I'm a doctor on this show. Well, you know, in that similar vein, I I hate I hate to say it, but I have been loving the exercise I've been getting Ugh. because yeah. one of my Christmas gifts to myself was uh, a gym membership and mm-hmm. some training sessions. So you know they have like little classes. Yeah, and uh, I will never have I felt more completely owned by anything than I have by that meme. That's like doing a stupid exercise for my stupid mental health. Yeah. 
it's just oh wow i can function now i know i don't like, feel like crap i'm so, i'm really careful not to be this person on this show because we acknowledge that exercise doesn't cure everything you know like mental illness is mental illness it's not for everyone if you are a person with a, a disability or anything like that you know depression is a bitch sometimes it's impossible to get off the couch and exercise recognize all of that Never want to be the person who's like, exercise fixes everything. I will say personally for me, if I couldn't exercise, I would be dead, like period. And that's like a big thing for me. And like my my therapist is aware of it now. And that's like a thing that she brings up if I'm like having a rough week. She's like, have you had time to exercise? Because she knows it's a big part of my life. Um, but yeah, it it's so linked to my mood and, you know, the serotonin in my brain that it's wild. Like, I can feel my entire mood changing while I'm exercising. Yeah, absolutely. And I end up feeling that, yeah, I just actually feel able to function. And if also, I don't do it... Also, we're both on medication, yeah. too. We should say that as well. Oh, yeah. It's like I mean, part, part of, of this is because my doctors, like, when I was telling my doctor that I was, like, in feeling insane... Yeah. Uh, you know, like really bad at the end of 2021. Shocking that that would happen. <laughs> uh, you know, his whole thing was like, oh, well, it sounds like, you know, you were telling me that you were thinking about actually making yourself exercise. Like, it seems like that's the sort of thing we should, you should try and like report back to me yeah. on rather than change, you know, work on your meds. And I think I texted you something that was like, God damn it. Am I going to have to like <laughs> do this life, like make this lifestyle change before it was like, instead of just getting the this other answer and it's like fine. isn't it so funny when like that that's how I first started going to therapy I went to my uh, G- like my my GP and I was basically like give me pills and he was like okay before we do that have you spoken to anyone and I was like get fucked and they were like okay the first thing you need to do is we're gonna put you in talk therapy and I was like oh god damn it but yeah it's it's all part of it it's like there's therapy and then there's meds and then there's like stuff you behavioral stuff like maybe exercise more but Everything plays a part. Yeah. And I mean, clearly I must be, this must be seriously full of impact because it, I keep sending you screenshots of the weather forecast <laughs> because there's constantly these days where it's like wind chill negative 20. Uh, I love my and Wisconsin weather like... updates because anytime I like get up and I'm like, I don't want to go for a walk. It's 15 degrees. Meredith sends me a screenshot where it's like negative seven. And I'm like, all right, at least I'm not dealing with that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you get to do it by choice. I have to go. I have to take my adorable little dog outside for her to sniff around and get her paws until her paws get numb. And then she tries to make me carry her home if if everything about my personality did not indicate i shouldn't have a dog i would get a dog because i go for a walk every morning and it's like well Mm -hmm. i might as well have a dog with me but truly like every other part of my lifestyle is not conducive to me having a dog but that one thing i'm like i am up and out anyway every day so that would be helpful but um, before we get to our recommendations, I'm glad I have you as my co-host this week, Meredith, because we have a really good question from one of my supporters, Amy. Amy's a Patreon supporter. I do have a Patreon, everyone. Patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny. And if you're a supporter of mine over there, 
you get to basically skip the line when you send in questions. And I did ask Amy if it was okay for me to read this one on air. And I wanted to read it on air because it's really, really specific, which I love. And I think it's important. And I think you and I would have good insight in mm-hmm. in regards to it. Uh, it's a little long. I'll just brace everyone because Amy emailed it to me and she was like, you can read this on air or not. But I, I found all the information helpful. So thank you, Amy. So here is some background. She writes, I got divorced in 2018 after nearly two decades with my ex, long time. It was long overdue and entirely for the good. After that, I spent a few months thinking about what I wanted going forward and figured out a few things that work for me relationship-wise. One, I'm not cohabiting with a partner ever again. I don't even like having them in my house. (laughs) I need my own space. (laughs) So good. That reminds me of uh, Whoopi Goldberg. I don't want a man in my house. (laughs) That line. Did you ever hear that? Oh, it's so good. Yeah. Uh, Two, I don't want to be monogamous and I don't expect that from my partners. I don't want to know who else they're seeing and I'm not going to share those details with them either. Three, I have extremely limited capacity for providing emotional support after my ex decided that his being depressed meant it was fine for him to make me entirely responsible for his emotional well-being for about a decade. I'm looking for people with their own support system slash social circles. Up until COVID, this worked pretty well. A friend said my approach to dating was not unlike a serial killer. (laughs) (laughs) This is so funny. Amy, this is so funny. Also, how hard can you relate, Meredith, so far? Um, Yeah, I feel like this has been written by 2016 me. (laughs) But I'm honest with people about what I expect and what I have to offer. Let's hang out and have fun. But marriage is so far off the table. It's a, it's in a smoking crater in the backyard. Enter COVID and the bad old pre-vaccine days. For safety, I stopped going on dates with new people and stopped seeing all but one of my then current partners. The one guy I did keep seeing is very sweet and lots of fun. Lately, he's been very gently, but frequently, suggesting I meet more of his friends. The ones I've met so far are all genuinely kind people, and they clearly love him, but I kind of hate meeting them. There's something about being introduced to people as his girlfriend, as anyone's girlfriend, that makes me twitchy. So my questions. One, do you have any advice on how to talk to him about putting an end to our COVID monogamy arrangement? My friends think that it's not a thing I can or should want to do. Two, is my significant discomfort with slash aversion to meeting his friends something I can reasonably ask him to respect, or is this something I should figure out a way to work through, i.e. go back to therapy? Great questions, Amy. This is so good. And she gave us so much information, I feel like, that it it will inform my answer. So first and foremost... And Meredith, I would be curious to know if you agree with me. Um, I would go back to therapy um, if you're able to do so. And it's like an affordable option for you because it sounds like I don't think there's anything wrong with setting boundaries in your relationship. Like if you don't want to meet this dude's friends, he should respect that. However, Mm -hmm. it sounds like you're working through some stuff with your ex, which is totally understandable because that is a long time to be in a relationship. And it sounds like you very much have the walls up right now, which by the way, is a necessary step in the healing process. Your walls go up because you're trying to protect yourself. That's your brain saying like, hey, we have some PTSD here. We need time to recover because we're working through a period of trauma. Totally fine, Amy. But it does sound like 
you are now, all of your relationships are an answer to this original relationship that clearly had a lot of problems. Yeah, I would definitely say that going back to therapy seems like a good idea. Um, Personally, I recognized myself a lot. Like I said, you know, this feels very relatable, uh, even if, and I had a significantly smaller amount of time that I was sort of working through. Um, It's natural to feel like you need to have a lot of control in potentially romantic or intimate relationships when you're trying to figure out exactly how you're going to go forward. But I think it's always important to recognize and examine moments when what make like things that are making you uncomfortable are markers of, of genuine connection. Mm -hmm. I mean, I do think that it's possible and just fine to want to only date casually to not want to be like, not be seriously involved or to not want to meet somebody's friends. Um, but the way you describe it, it it feels more like an aversion to taking a step forward yeah. than um, and like taking on those risks than it does um, like that it's something that is an actual lifestyle change. I think, uh, and I'm told I could be totally off base, but it seems like there's some work that could that you could want it might want to do to make sure like that you're really clear on that yeah my, my um, response... i'm completely there for uh not wanting to live with anyone ever again totally and wanting to have your own space like so and so funny the way you put it in yeah. but like yeah a hundred percent if you go back to therapy and you you work through some stuff and come to the conclusion i never want to get married again i never want to date seriously again Boom. Beautiful. And this guy, if he is as nice as you say, will understand that if you uh, come back and, you know, draw those very clear lines. So I think that's totally fine. But yeah, as Meredith said, I do think it's in response to this trauma from from the other relationship. Um, And yeah, I always say this, and this is sort of my like blanket advice to everybody out there. If you ever find yourself writing into a podcast, should I go to therapy? You should go to therapy. And it's not, <laughs> and that's no shade. It's just like if you have taken the time to sit down, open your email, find the email address for a podcast, and write out your thoughts, and your thoughts are, should I go to therapy? Yeah, your brain is like, on its way to telling you to go to therapy. So the answer is always yes, because I think therapy is awesome. And that's not to say all therapists are awesome. You might start therapy and not, you know, vibe with your therapist or they might be a bad therapist. I've heard like horror stories of, of therapists who are like, you know, homophobic, transphobic, all of that stuff. And it's like, then you fucking dump them and you find a new therapist, you know, like shop around, find somebody who you like really vibe with and you, you like, you know, the advice they're giving you. I mean, most good therapists won't give you any advice. They're, they'll just sort of like listen to you and occasionally ask you a question, you know, um, that's what talk therapy is for. But yeah, I would, Amy, if that's an option, absolutely do that. And then, yeah, other than that, like, I think it's fine to be casual dating. I don't think you should ever feel pressured to meet your um, your significant other's friends or anything like that. Um, yeah. 
Anything else? Yeah, but I, I will also add, like, as somebody who's had several phases of experimenting with and now just fully diving into the universe of non-monogamy and uh, polyamory, if you, yeah, and polyamory, I think it sounds like it's time for you to have a serious and honest check-in with the person that you've been yeah. monogamous with over the pandemic. Because if you feel like he's... Clearly, he wants more than you are comfortable with. And if you haven't explicitly told him that, mm-hmm. then you need to uh, you need to have that discussion, especially if you are interested. I mean, this problem could solve itself because you could say. I'm really not into monogamy and COVID was one thing, but I really feel like I need to be able to date other people. If that if your partner decides that that's not something they're comfortable with. You don't have to worry about hanging out with his friends. Right, right. <laughs> um, it is wild. It, like, it sounds so simple, but, like, communication. <laughs> like, I know that sounds, like, so trite, but honestly, if if two people are up front at the beginning of a relationship and lay out all their cards and say, here's what I want from this relationship, here are my boundaries, it makes everything else so much easier. Yeah. I mean, I find that that, you know, can be that is is really really helpful um you know i'm sorry that you are out in the world full of singles and unsingles and all the rest of it because it really sucks out here but uh it's it's you know it it sounds like it really is a numbers (laughs) but it's good the thing is it's a numbers game and like that's what sucks about it but it really is like you and maybe this is probably not true for you but i know like meredith you've had this and i i also am going through this where it's like you just gotta go out with a ton of people and a lot of most of them are not gonna vibe with you you know and that's just part of it and then you'll you meet someone who's okay for a little bit and then that like sort of just fizzles out and i was like okay well that was fun and then on to the next one and that's just what it is and if that does not sound appealing, then it's like you you got to figure it out for yourself. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, Olivia wrote in with a recommendation. And by the way, thank you so much to you two, because I had put out a general plea where like, I don't know what happened, but the ladies stopped being active on my Patreon and it made me very sad. So Amy and Olivia, thank you for writing in. And any other women out there, send me your recommendations, send me your questions. I find that women a lot of the time, for some reason, Meredith, don't value their opinions and feel like they Hmm. shouldn't leave recommendations or like their recommendations aren't good or worthy. And it's like, no, I want to hear from you. I want to know like what's going on. So Olivia writes... Hey, Allison, I'd like to recommend my brilliant and talented friend Lee Mandelo's debut book that comes out in September. Um, Their book is called Summer Suns. It's a sweltering queer Southern Gothic that crosses Appalachian street racing with academic intrigue. Ooh, all haunted by a hungry ghost. What? I just finished (gasps) reading it during my winter break and it was a thrill. Uh, well, Olivia, that sounds amazing. I love that you used your platform, your space, your time to plug your friend's book. That's very sweet. So that is Summer Suns. And it sounds dope. Yeah, that is, I, I'm really excited to read it now. That sounds fantastic. You got queer. You got Southern Gothic. You got 
Appalachian. I'm saying that wrong. Appalachian. Appalachian. Uh, you got street <laughs> racing. You got academic intrigue. You got a hungry fucking ghost. What more do you want? Summer suns. Go read that shit. And Olivia, thank you for the recommendation. Yeah, everybody. I, I never thought about that. But Olivia, that's a great idea. If if you guys have friends who have projects or books or shows or anything like that, that you want to promote, that's a recommendation. Like, obviously, don't abuse the shit out of that. But like, this is a great example. Like your friend has a book coming out. That's a big deal. Recommend that shit. Yeah. I mean, think about how many times I recommended A Certain Hunger. Oh, yeah. which because is because a friend wrote it. It also rules. And it's a great book. I like, important. I flew through that reading that. Um, but yeah, that's a great example where it's like, th- that's an actually great book. It just so happens that your friend wrote it. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so let's get into recommendations. I My big one for this week is Yellow Jackets. And I know, Meredith, you haven't had a chance to watch it yet, so I won't go into any details. But I know as as I was saying, I used my seven day Showtime trial to uh, watch Twin Peaks: The Return yep. several years ago. So until I need to sign up, as for did I. Trial. I have watched Yellow Jackets through other means, and that's all I'll say about that. Hmm. <laughs> but I did see it; it's great. And yeah, I just recommend the whole season. the The finale just happened. Is Rosie sneezing? Uh, she was okay. Yes. I couldn't tell if you were sneezing or if that was Rosie. All right. No, she's sneezing while she eats a bully stick. Oh, she's working so hard. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, the season finale of Yellow Jackets just aired. Whole season's great. It's a batshit show. Like, wild, wild stuff happens. Um, but, yeah, the, the summary of it is it's about a high school soccer team that is flying to nationals and they get into a terrible plane crash. And it's about them surviving that and what happens to them years later when they're adults. And the cast is phenomenal. Um, You know, you got your Christina Ricci, uh, you got your uh, Julianne. uh, Oh my God, I'm spacing on her name. Juliana Lewis. Um, yeah, they're Juliet Lewis. Juliet yeah. Lewis, thank you. Uh they're a great uh from top to bottom. And they also Melanie Linsky. Melanie like, Linsky. My God. I know the cash is incredible. Do you know? Uh no, you probably don't because you're not watching it. But the girl they cast as young Melanie Linsky does such an incredible job of not just like copying Melanie Linsky's mannerisms, but her voice is identical. That is what trips me out so much. It tripped me out to the point where I was like, are they doing some kind of like amazing dubbing of these voices? Because like, she's so good at it. Uh, Sophie Nalisi, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that. Um, She's wonderful. And like, you know, usually that's the dead giveaway when somebody's doing like a young version of a character, like the voice is completely different. And you're like, there's no way Mm -hmm. this person grew into that person for them. For Shauna, it's completely believable, and it just, like, it helps immerse you in this story. So they do a really incredible job with that. Christina Ricci is playing such a wild character that it's just, like, it makes me so happy for her because I'm glad she's back because she just had a baby. So I'm glad she's, like, in this amazing new show that's getting tons of award buzz and stuff like that. Um but I'm just like so happy for her as a person that she gets to play this fun, wacky character. I, I'm just like, I'm sure she's having a great time. 
<laughs> and then Julia Lewis, it's like, oh my God, like it's every woman you had a crush on in the 90s, you know? I know. I saw um, Judy Berman, she writes about television for Time magazine, tweeted at some point how she doesn't even care how they make it work, but they need to, they should find a way to put Heather Matarazzo in the second <laughs> season. And I responded and I was like, oh, so we're just going to go full 90s yeah. indie girl. And <laughs> And I was like, well, then you do also have to hire Natasha Leone because oh, yeah. like, then you get the Welcome to the Dollhouse, Slums of Beverly Hills slash But I'm a Cheerleader. Um, and I'm not opposed to that, but like, I, you know, you know, things could get really messy if people followed my dreams in terms of putting these women <laughs> in a show together. Because then it just gets into the late seasons of, um, or just the new black, and nobody needs that. Yeah, beware when you put Meredith in charge of casting. You know what you're getting. Um, and then my other, <laughs> my other big recommendation is Euphoria is back on HBO, and just like a general huge trigger warning <laughs> for Euphoria. They really lean into the darkness this season. Like, obviously, everybody knows there's, like, drug use, but there's also, like, uh, a lot of, I don't even know what you would call it, but, like, the threat of sexual violence, at least, like, in the pilot, um, that's very intense. And, yeah, violence, like, really, Euphoria is the best show about teenagers on television written by middle-aged people. So, and also, uh, the cast members are, like, much older. Like, there's one person who's, like, in their 30s playing a teenager. So, it's got a little bit of that going on. Um, So, by no means a a realistic portrayal of being a teenager in America. But, and always, always style over substance with Euphoria. After every Euphoria episode, I was like, wow. Wow wait, what the fuck happened? And it would be like one major thing. But for the most part, it's like watching a long TikTok video or a long like music video, you know, like very, very stylistic, cool to look at. I don't know if there's much going on, but I would watch Zendaya in anything. So I'm having a good time. And that makes sense. I I still have not watched Euphoria because I can't really watch shows about teens anymore because they have started to annoy me. Yeah, um, I know what you mean. And I, you know, I, I'm sure that I could get high and watch Beverly Hills 90210 OG, like, and be just perfectly happy. But the thought of watching, like, another sensationalized version of teen life with a bunch of overly beautiful 20-somethings <laughs> playing the teens, it's just like, okay, I don't have the energy for that. <laughs> I will say, like, the Euphoria memes make it very worthwhile because, like, even the people who really enjoy Euphoria recognize it's ridiculous. And, like, again, a bunch of middle-aged people and a bunch of, like, 30-year-olds playing teenagers. Um, I think Zendaya is probably the youngest person on that cast. But – and she's, like, 25. But – the memes the next day are always so funny. Like the season premiere is about a very big party that happens at this like lavish mansion that has a fully stocked bar, of course. And uh, people are just drinking hard liquor all night and everybody, literally everybody in the high school is there. And so like the next day there were all these memes of people, like the one person who like didn't get invited to the party, who was like, there was a party last night. 
<laughs> it is true. It is bizarre that everyone at that high school is at the same party because that never, ever, ever, ever happens. You know? um, no, it does not at all. But yeah, the, the memes are quite good with Euphoria. So I would recommend watching it just so you can enjoy the memes. And then you recommended this to me, Meredith, and I binge watched it. And it was such a good time. Archive 81 on oh, yes. Netflix. So you've got... you. You covered my. Was that yours? Well, you go off on that one. Oh, oh, I was going to say. So obviously, it's a mixed bag. If you are uh, adapting a podcast, one of the creepy serialized podcasts, into a television show, because a lot of people that are good at writing audio are not particularly very good at like figuring out how to adapt it. But I thought Netflix did a really good job at holding the creepiness. I thought the cast was really good. Um, so yeah, quickly. It uh, felt, archive eighty one yeah. is about so this. I, I, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so I'd say the story is a dude who works for the museum of the moving image is a sort of archivist and um, and is a film archivist gets hired by a mysterious dude to go through a set of old tapes, um, and you know, ostensibly it's for one reason, and as he starts to listen, he starts to notice. Uh, inconsistencies and creepy stuff and starts doing more research into what's going on. It's related to um, a building where there was a fire uh, and uh, several people died. So he starts, he becomes obsessed. He starts to look at what is happening and um, gets pulled into a creepy underworld of the occult and wealthy. And it's, really fun it's super fun and it's it's really well paced um i'll say it's the kind of thing you could watch like in a day if it was really gross outside. yeah like that's what i did if it was really cold or snowy i would highly recommend it as like your indoor while you make chili kind of viewing yeah and i want to shout out uh mamadou athy who plays dan the the main protagonist the uh the archivist in in the series because it is a lot of like just close-ups of him watching stuff and Mm -hmm. he's like captivating the whole time so i know he did a great i know that the first thing i texted you was the lead is super hot (laughs) but he's also very he does a very good job this is like insight (laughs) into how meredith gets me to watch stuff she'll just be like watch this he's hot and i'm like i'm on it i'm on it it's like rainy and shitty out i will watch this absolutely so my main thought watching it and i texted you this meredith is i wish there were more horror series like this and it's weird that there's not i know and i feel like there should be because there was such a huge appetite for the mike flanagan you know haunting of hill house and and then midnight mass but I think it's still hard to get them off the ground in large part because not a, I don't think, I think, I don't know. It just seems like people haven't been thinking in that specifically narrow, bite-sized, serialized concept. Yeah, you know? which is so annoying be- because this happens all the fucking time. I feel like every year we have to have the same conversation where there's a breakout horror sensation, usually a film. And the industry is like, what? What? People want to watch this? And it's like, yeah, you idiots. Horror always draws a big audience. You can make them relatively on the cheap. You can get actors who haven't broken through yet because like that a lot of actors get their start in horror films because they they work for like very little money. So 
you save money and then you make a huge return on the back end. And every year the industry is like blindsided by this. And it's like, how many times does it have to happen? So I am wondering when I it's at this point, it's a, a matter of when, not if, but when that's going to cross over into, you know, Netflix realizing, Oh, people really like that horror series. Maybe we should fund more horror series. Yeah. And I think that, you know, shutter obviously has been doing a pretty good job. They have a fairly robust TV section of, of originals yeah. that they do. So they're, they're trying to, you know, they're at least following. They get the it, but it's their whole stuff. bag, you know, like shutter gets it. I know. Yeah. But it, they shouldn't, of course they do. Yeah. And I, what I really think about too, is that it feels like studios are always asking for proof of concept. Like they want you to do a season and then they're like well if that goes well then we'll turn it into like a, it's a you know ryan murphy style anthology series where everything like yeah. the main story is different but if you don't have those together um it doesn't it really doesn't work very well and i think what flanagan um, gets and you know like i always have notes for flanagan <laughs> like i don't think he's like yeah but he, i mean who does yeah it's not perfect by any <laughs> means but like who who cares um it's still interesting to watch what he gets is uh, you really have to establish the characters in order for the horror to have an impact. And I feel like Ryan Murphy does not get that <laughs> at all or isn't interested no. in it at all. And I have never been able to emotionally connect with the Ryan Murphy character because they're all cartoon characters. Um, but Mike Flanagan really, really gets like, no, 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 these have to be real people with real relationships and real lives in order for us to care when the ghost shows up, you know? Yeah. And I guess like, you know, what I liked about Archive 81 is that it it involves a lot of similar creepy things when you're trying to unravel the mystery, but it doesn't lean as heavily on Catholicism and loss. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, I've told you about this as I've been trying to develop this one idea that I have. I am desperate for horror or creepy content that is not like that doesn't fall into the well the real horror is grief um, oh yeah i feel like that's really played out did you read that and i recognize it as a motivating factor that works really well but like i just need a different psychological demon that is being represented by an actual demon have you read that new yorker profile that just came out um the case against the trauma the plot. one again the the case against trauma whatever yeah the case against the trauma plot by a uh, parul Segal. um uh i did and i don't know i felt like it it made it worked as an argument for me but it also didn't actually get to the crux of what i find to be problematic about using trauma as the point of stories like um, but anyway, yeah, sure. I, I understand that. It's just, it is one of those things. Once you are aware of it, watching every show, every recent show uses trauma that way. And once you're aware of it and that writers are using it as a plot tool, man, does it take you out of it? Because it's like yeah. every serious gritty, you know, I I'll throw this in here. I wasn't going to recommend it cause we're running a little long, but I have another recommendation for a series called Vigil, which is on Peacock. It's a six-episode British series about a murder on a submarine. And that's all I'll say about it. It's great. 
But it does use that plot device where we keep cutting back to something that happened in the protagonist's life that was traumatic. And I had that piece in my head as I was watching and I was like, oh, this this is very manipulative. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, this is the Broadchurch is like the or show for that, right? Like, how do you create a, you know, it's or going from the 80s, like the 70s and 80s British murder mysteries where it's like a beautiful little like village and everybody knows each other, but somehow three people get murdered every time, (laughs) like in every episode of Midsummer. like going from that to having, you know, not pumping out literally thousands of them, but, you know, telling these stories, but then making all of the stuff that was just put to the side in the earlier days and suddenly like digging down into all of the sadness. I get why we, we have the capacity to do that now, but it does make me wonder, like, can we have something that's not, does everybody have to have the worst possible thing happen? It's like, uh, it's like college application essay trauma drift has now reached television. Yeah. And that, that's how I look at it, by the way. It's not that I would like mark against shows that that do that. I just think it's an interesting challenge for writers going forward. How do we make compelling stories that don't use trauma as a plot device? And I think that's interesting because like, don't get me wrong. I think there are shows out there like, you know, uh, this will destroy you uh, that do explore trauma in like very honest, necessary, artistic ways. I just mean in terms of like continuously falling back on it, you know, like like in the British series that keep cutting away to a traumatic thing. It's like, do we actually need this to make this character compelling or to create empathy for this character? Because yeah, I'll be like honest. Now that we have... Yeah, Yeah, like Vigil, Vigil is interesting enough. Like there's so much going on in Vigil. I don't think we necessarily need to be cutting away to this other crazy thing that happened to this woman. Yeah, I think that, you know, I was going to say because we have I May Destroy You. Yes, thank you. I never remember what the title is. I May Destroy You, yeah. it, it, It really lays bare how badly most other places do it. Yes. Um, yeah. And that makes it like, okay, now we've actually seen behind the curtain. I, it's really hard to get on board for it, but. Um, totally. Yes. I completely, I'm, I find that I'm very looking forward to watching Vigil. I think it'll be. I think you're going to love really it. Uh, it's so, it's so much of what you love. I'm like, yeah, Meredith, <laughs> Meredith, I love this. Uh, yeah. Do you have any other recommendations? Uh, I, um, I'm not sure if I recommended it already, but the book My Heart is a Chainsaw. Oh, I um, just it just arrived at my apartment this morning. Yes, I if you're looking for it's also a sort of a ghost story and a murder slasher mystery and also a tale of gentrification and indigenous peoples um and uh, cultural appropriation and and I think it's really interesting and it's written beautifully and I feel like I'm going to finish it by the end of the weekend so if you need a fast book and you've read uh now I can't remember the name of the book that we just recommended that a reader recommended <laughs> once you've read that you should read oh, the yes, one. Yes. summer suns yes I would say you could read this and apparently it's part of a trilogy 
um, that is still in process. So the second book comes out uh, later this year. And you just reminded me, Meredith, I always forget to recommend books I'm reading. I have this recommended uh, to me by a friend. I'm reading The Ministry for the Future by Kim Stanley Robinson. It's great. Uh, It is a science fiction book about the very, very, very near future. Eyewitness accounts to tell the story of how climate change will affect us all. So it's from the perspective of people in refugee camps, but also aid workers, and then the people who run the ministry for the future, these people who have been appointed internationally to figure out how to address climate change and how to stop climate change. And that includes um, a Black Wings operation in which they have assassins who carry out targeted assassinations of high-ranking oil executives. (laughs) (laughs) So a very, very interesting book. And I am flying through it. When you first see it, you're a little daunted. You're like, damn, this is a big book. But it just flies by. So I really, really recommend it. And on that note, everybody, it's that time of the show. I'm so sorry. Here's your bad news. Ooh. news section with a lighter story just because I feel like this is one of the ones and it sort of matches the themes of some of the stuff we've been talking about on this show and I feel like you and I can go off a little bit Meredith can we talk Mm -hmm. about West Elm Caleb (laughs) oh my god Talk about something that made me want to move to the woods and become one of those weird preppers. So here's the thing. And don't turn off the podcast if you're like, I'm so tired of hearing about West West Elm Caleb. I get it. I know it's one of those stories that went viral and a lot of people are tired of hearing about it. But just bear with us because I do feel like this is actually an important thing that we need to talk about. But if you missed it. West Elm Caleb was a phenomenon recently on TikTok in which a bunch of very nice women, I'm sure, were sounding off in their videos about a young person, young man named Caleb, who is matching with apparently a lot of women on Hinge. And he was known for flooding them with affectionate messages um, they'd go on dates and then he would ghost them, Meredith. I don't, I'm sure this has never, ever, ever happened to you. <laughs> never. I've never been. I mean, this, I recognize that I'm old, but did, did people just stop? I know that ghosting didn't stop when I would have not been dating. Ugh, like I know this is not, I felt like people were used. It was like another language. I've watched a couple of these videos and to hear them talk about love bombing and to say, you know, like using these terms that are actually legitimately connected to abusive relationships yes. and that are part of vernacular because people have more recognition of the signs and, uh, you know, actions of, of people who are being abused or who are abusers. You know, we don't know anything about this guy. If I had a dime for every dude who ever sent me, like, a Spotify playlist or, like, a CD that I assume he sent to other people, I mean, Jesus, like, 
one of my ex-boyfriends sent his current wife the same series of albums and songs that he sent me as part of his process of wooing both of us. Classy so, gentleman. Is that like, Sounds like classy you know, gentleman. If it, can, it can happen when you're burning a mix. Of course it's going to happen on Spotify. Yeah, so that um, that's the main thing I wanted to talk about where um, no one owes you a second date. <laughs> you know, like, I'm sorry that Caleb disappointed you, but to conflate fuckboy behavior with abuse, I think is not only incorrect, but it's dangerous. Yeah. And I mean, also, if the guy was bad at sex, just do a video where you're like, the guy ghosted me after flirting a whole bunch and he he is like terrible at going down on a woman. Why do you have to talk about being love bombed? Yeah. And I, I don't think this warrants doxing someone which when you use the place of employment and his name i count that as doxing like that's kind of fucked up but yeah this 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 behavior of rejecting me as abuse it's like no it's not and also by the way i'm reading this from the skim which if anybody's familiar with the skim shout out i too received their morning newsletter they even call this love bombing. This is not love bombing, what Caleb was doing. Um, sending someone a bunch of affectionate messages is not love bombing. And people keep throwing around that term. And I think it is really confusing. And it, it's concerning to me because like this one video that they're talking about was viewed 18 million times. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how many and people also, now it's... think this is love bombing? <laughs> And I know that it's funny when somebody who's acting kind of racist or acting explicitly racist gets called out and then everybody finds their information and suddenly they're in trouble. But that's like like doing behavior that is legitimately shitty. And that's the thing. We can discuss the ethics of some of that stuff. This just is really using TikTok as a way to create this tiny mini wave of outrage that fits in my mind really really well with how the say parents and grandparents of tiktok users end up getting sucked in by misinformation through facebook like it's just targeted in a different direction this is like, like they don't okay like, can i these kids don't think that you know the vaccine has cancer in it but yeah they do seem to think that do like a, a mediocre furniture designer deserves to be like hunted down like can i give you a very silly example of misinformation that i posted yesterday because i thought it was so funny but there's this girl yes please there's this girl who posted a tiktok and again it's been viewed like 20 million times where she was like i was today years old when i realized it's not open sesame it's open says me and Yes, I saw that. And I was like, that's not it's true. not true. It's not true. <laughs> so I posted it on my Instagram where I posted her video and then the Wikipedia entry for the origin of open sesame, which is a literary term. And but like how many people now think it's open says me and they're going to say that in a literary class like a fucking dumbass. And it's like we're yeah. you learned that on TikTok. <laughs> Like, TikTok is creating its own Mandela effects yes. right now. And here's the thing. It's not 
new. Like this happens on Twitter. This happens on all social media platforms. So it's not like worse because it's young people. It's just yet another social media platform where misinformation is spreading. But the reason I wanted to talk about this, oh, to circle back to love bombing, we should actually define what it is because we've just been talking about what it's not, which is West Elm Caleb is not love bombing. Love bombing is in response to actual abuse. So a dude not calling you the next day isn't abuse. It's shitty behavior. It's fuckboy behavior. It is an epidemic. (laughs) It's happening all the time. It sucks. It's not fun. I have compassion for people who were really hoping that he would call you. But guess what? Caleb doesn't owe you a second date. And it's fucked up to assume that he does owe you. Because let's like for a second swap the genders here. Can you imagine if there were a bunch of dudes on TikTok who was like, that fucking bitch said we would get a next date. And then we didn't. She didn't call me. Every woman would be like, fuck you, buddy. She doesn't owe you a second date. Same goes here. Caleb doesn't owe you a second date. So there was no actual abuse to begin with. As far as I know, like maybe a a woman will step forward and say something that was actual abuse, but Caleb not calling you the next day is not abuse. If Caleb was an actual abuser, right, and then he came home the next day after the abuse with a bunch of gifts for you and a bunch of flattering words because he's trying to erase the abuse, that's love bombing. Mm-hmm. Or if he's doing all of that and then, and then abusing after him. you've gone on a few dates, then he suddenly is ice cold and difficult suddenly taking away that love, uh, making you feel anxious and desperate. That's love bombing. But it is not just not, you know, just flaking. Yeah, and I think I think we need to normalize just saying this thing happened and it made me feel bad. We don't always have to say this was abuse because what that does is it diminishes actual acts of abuse when they happen. So mm-hmm. I do think it's important to draw that line where it's like you have every right to make a TikTok video. Again, I don't think you should dox them in which you talk about X, a guy who did this and this and this, and I feel really bad right now. I still think you'll get a bunch of likes. I don't think you need to start throwing around love bombing, abuse, like all of these very serious labels because it diminishes those things when they're actually happening. Right. Um, and I think that is, and I, I never like to be like this, but it also plays directly into the arms of people who want to say that all instances of people using social media to come together and try and find support and sometimes push for actual consequences for bad behavior it gives the ammunition to the people believe that is always unjust um, because now we have bad actors who are just out here to fuck shit up and we need to, I, I think it's smart. It's good to be intentional, you yeah. know, Lord knows if I had had social media and all kinds of stuff at earlier times in my life, I can't imagine what I would have said about people. Oh my but, God. Um, I'm so, I, I know I say this a lot, but I'm so glad that the internet was still kind of new when we were growing up and I did not have access to TikTok because I can't imagine the dumb shit I would have said. Yeah. Um, this, I just can't, it doesn't, I, people will use the internet for bad. They will. And like, you know, I don't want to be hyperbolic. I'm not saying like, you know, this is like the end of society. If uh, some women on TikTok say love bombing (laughs) when it's not love bombing. I just think that we should all choose our words carefully, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So 
a completely different note, we should talk about Omicron and uh, COVID and the fact that there's this piece over at CNN with the headline, Americans are showing up sick to work, even as Omicron spreads, like accusing the workers of being irresponsible. Which is very funny to me because the whole reason people have to keep going to work is, A, their work keeps making them show up or they'll be fired. B, they have to pay rent or pay the mortgage or they'll be evicted. And C, the government hasn't done shit to pay people to stay home. So there's absolutely no incentive. We're not getting any more stimuli. So, of course, people keep going to work. Yeah, I think the... All of these articles and in basically every single time you're reading anything about the economy right now when it comes to Omicron and workers, it is the, you know, we're talking about the complete and total shifting of responsibility for dealing with an still unprecedented and ongoing global pandemic uh, onto the individuals as when they're to just forget to try and ignore and forget the complete systemic failures of the government and of private industry. I mean, they, what is it? I think it was Starbucks announced that it was no longer going to require vaccines for its workers right right after the Supreme Court said that uh, Biden's vaccine mandate was not enforceable. So, It really is the case that companies are not going to do anything to protect their workers or their customers unless they're being forced to. And right, because there's no national. This is just we don't have any. There's no national paid sick laws, um, unlike most industrialized countries. So workers don't have access to that. um, And we have stagnant wages so uh, you know people aren't making enough money to like take a few shifts off you know um but and meanwhile uh, there's tons of really scary stories i think the one i saw this morning was from georgia where once again the icu beds are at 100 percent capacity and these hospitals are like we can't take more patients so mm-hmm. it it's I won't say worse than ever, but it's definitely still at crisis levels. Well, the uh, I think I, I saw that the, we've had the deaths are now back to where they were at some of the worst of it. And the reason why it doesn't seem like a big deal or it seems easy to ignore is because if you are able to, you're somebody who doesn't have a disability or someone who might might have a disability who needs to be afraid of contracting uh even omicron um there and that you are vaccinated this you're in this place where yes it is not going to be terribly dangerous to you but if you needed to go to the hospital because you had some sort of fairly urgent uh emergency surgery needs then you're going to run into problems the issue isn't that we have all of these people dying critically ill by themselves it's not it's a different the strain is a different is coming from a different source, um, but it's just as dangerous. And also, people are still dying. Right. Just because I know I'm not going to get horribly ill and have a life threatening experience if I got COVID, doesn't mean I'm not desperate to avoid it. 
Right. Yeah, completely. Well, everybody, I think that's enough bad news for today. <laughs> Let's I love cap- it. We're just going to stick straight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's cap everything off with your good news. I'll be honest, it was hard to find good news. <laughs> so if you, Meredith, have anything, feel free to uh, tag it after I <laughs> um, deliver my questionably good news. I am putting this in the good news section because I do think it's a good sign that the January 6th investigators apparently are zeroing in on this plot to hijack the election uh, with fake electors and namely uh, there's I forget how many uh, there's like a, a quite a few fake Republican electors that's uh, signed or made these counterfeit election certificates that were meant to like overturn the actual election count um, but specifically the scheme involved Trump campaign officials in an operation coordinated by Rudy Giuliani. So it doesn't look great for Giuliani. And so that's why I'm putting in the good news section, just because shockingly, contrary to everything we have learned to expect from our representatives, they haven't let this go yet. And they appear to actually be making a case of a conspiracy against Rudy Giuliani and associates. So for that reason, I'll put it in the good news section. Do I think this is going to result in jail time for anyone? No. I would say what I think is more late or more frustrating is like, yeah, probably won't lead to jail time. But also, guys, you're litigating the last probable like <laughs> problem and fuck up and like critical threat to American democracy. And there's an election in November. It's like they don't remember but yeah. uh, and meanwhile, the Supreme yeah. Court keeps ruling against voting rights, which is a huge issue. Um, yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. But I will say I was fully ready for no one to receive jail time for January 6th. And uh, admittedly, not that many people did go to jail, but people did go to jail. Um, mm-hmm. And... The fact that they still haven't let this go, not obviously, I don't think they should have. It was an attempted coup and it should be treated with that level of, you know, seriousness. And it 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 was really, really important that they make a statement with the investigation, because if they had let it go, I think that would have been potentially even more catastrophic because it would have been like, oh, and there's no consequences. Yeah. And I do think that that's really important to see. This is, uh, it's a scary, like, this stuff is a scary time. And I think it's still important that we not minimize what happened, especially since now we're finding all of the evidence of this stuff. I mean, they had all of the fake certificates that had been created and they all look identical. They have, uh, you know, there was the executive order ordering the uh, seizure of voting machines. They had it all together. There was a lot of, a lot of planning. They got, they got real, they had it all ready. There was a lot of planning. Um, There was a lot of money. People were funding this. 
Mm-hmm. And it's really important to track down everybody who is responsible, including elected representatives, because this was an attempted coup. And it, it's it's tempting to laugh about it and want to move on because these guys are ridiculous. They looked ridiculous. They're not smart. But not smart people pull off serious crimes all the time. You know, like it, it is really, really important to remember that day and remember how scary it was and how we all felt. And we didn't know who they were going to kill. We didn't know if they were going to be successful. We didn't know who was on what side. And that was really, really scary. It was an attempted coup. And I'm glad that they haven't done the Obama thing of moving forward and not looking back, you know? Yeah, that does. That does make me happy. Um, do you have other? Well, I'll put this in the good news section news? just because I it's a, a rare example, although I haven't received mine yet. Maybe I should wait until I actually get it. But you can order your free COVID kits right now uh, if you go to what's the website? Um, I forget the. Uh, isn't it just like. Let's do this on air. Free COVID test kits. I'll just Google it. Um, do, 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 how to get your kit. Tell me, cms.gov. Uh, let's see. Did you find anything? <laughs> uh, it is, I think you can get it for, uh, um, the FTC has it. Oh, go to, God, covidtest.gov, guys. Thank you. I was going to say, like, it's free. Is it free covidtest.gov? Yeah, or COVID? I'm like, I know like, they have yeah, the so domain. I was there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So covidtest.gov. I ordered mine. Uh, apparently, you get, like, four or five, I think, which there's been some confusion. There have been, like, college kids who have tried to order it for their, like, dorm, and it the USPS just has the address listed. So like five kits will show up for an entire dorm. And then you can't order another kit because they're like, you already ordered again. They're like, right. But five kits for a dorm isn't going to do shit. Apparently what you can do in that case is you can contact the USPS and say, we're this many units and they can adjust your address. I've heard. I had heard, I had heard that if you put your apartment or room number or something in uh, into the first field that you enter oh, in rather than using okay. the number as a second okay. one, uh, that that will, that will is a potential workaround. Okay. That's good to know. So yeah, try that if you're having issues. Um, yeah. And I put it in the good news section cause I'm like, well, here's an example of government doing something useful in a timely way. The website didn't crash when I went to it, like so often happens anytime the government tries to do anything <laughs> with a website. I know. They like aren't braced for the fact that millions of people are going to try to go to a website and it immediately overwhelms their bandwidth. When are they going to learn that? I don't know. Um, but apparently they learned it this time because when I went to the website, it worked. I was happy to see that. And I'll let y'all know when I get my kit. Yes. Uh, I mean, and also this is a, not just a victory for let's just do the thing and the government will take care of it. Uh, this was public pressure. Think about how, uh, you know, it's still not enough, but we went from Jen Psaki basically rolling her eyes at a question about sending free tests to it getting kicked off. 
So and I have seen some like shitty is... think pieces that are like, how are we going to pay for this? And it's like, you know, when we never ask that when we go to war, <laughs> mm-hmm. how are we going to pay for this? It's like they're fucking COVID kits. I don't know. Raise taxes on the rich by point zero zero two percent. Like, we'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, bitch. Uh, did you have any other good news? Uh, I did. Why have we not talked about uh, our new favorite club that doesn't exist oh, yet? Oh my God, Meredith. I can't, first of all, I can't believe you're putting this in the good news section. It's so funny. But <laughs> I'm putting it in the good news section because it is so funny and it's so ridiculous. Okay, let's get the timeline of this down. So I am on Twitter last night minding my own fucking business. And was it last night or two nights ago? I don't remember. Two nights, two nights ago. ago. Oh, yeah, because I was at Harry Potter last night. So two nights ago. I'm on Twitter minding my own fucking business, and I see a story that Pete Davidson and Colin Jost of SNL fame have bought together a Staten Island ferry. So I immediately send the article to Meredith, and I'm like, what the fuck is this? Because my first thought was, I was shocked that people can buy ferries because I assumed they were publicly owned and operated. So I was a little confused where I was like, do people privately own these ferries and are they making money from them? Because at first I was like, wait, are Pete and Colin buying a Staten Island ferry to operate as a Staten Island ferry and are they going to make money from that? That's what I was confused about. (laughs) I'm like, is this some weird hustle? It's so strange. These guys don't need the money. Why are they doing this? Then we find out It's not going to be operated like a ferry. It's going to be docked. It'll be in the water, but it'll be docked. And they're going to operate it as a comedy venue, which makes way more sense. I was like, absolutely. And also, before we realized that was the update to the story, we had just started spitballing. Oh, my God. What if they're going to run it as like a club? That's genius to have like a floating club. I was still picturing it as a ferry, though. Were you? Uh, yes. I mean, I think I imagined it as assumed that they would do something with it where they moored it. But in my head, I was like, oh, my God, if the Staten Island Ferry was just a club, a club that ran yeah. back and forth and kept the same shitty commuter yeah, bar, like- it would still be the hottest club. <laughs> and we were like, Stefan should do the commercial where it's like, this ferry has everything. <laughs> like, I could already <laughs> see the campaign for it. But it turns out we were actually right. And they at least are going to operate it as a comedy venue. I think this is genius. And I agree. I think it's fantastic. I think there is, if you're going to do something that conjures up the the response, well, that's on brand. This is how you should do it. Also, I guess it was, yes, it's a decommissioned ferry. Um, They, when ferries get decommissioned, they do go for auction and you can buy them and refurbish them and use them for other purposes. Um, and they did it so, for yeah, they two hundred and eighty thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah, it was like less than three hundred thousand um, dollars. So clearly, it was a pretty decent deal. Um, and we should and also guess, mention like, that the reason they did this is both of them separately rode this ferry a lot. Like Colin rode it a lot when he was a kid, and Pete rode it a lot into the city when he was doing like comedy gigs and stuff. So they both do have these roots in Staten Island. So, cause at first I was like, how did they even know? Where did they hear about it? But that made sense to me where I was like, oh, they rode that ferry a lot. 
Yeah, and they have they have a specific love of this fairy. Um, if you're gonna buy something that reminds you of where you came from, or you're gonna celebrate your heritage, like a decommissioned Staten Island fairy sounds perfect. I think that's really quite adorable, actually. I know, and, and it, it pains me uh, to say that because, like, I don't like Colin. <laughs> No, neither so, do like, I. But it, this but, is like, adorable behavior, and like Pete seems harmless, so I'm like, good on you. Uh, I am unfortunately going to have to go to it. Yeah, I know. Same. Yeah, so when you visit, we have to go. Sorry, it's okay. I mean, I'm just I'm I'm prepared for it. It's it's gonna be fine. This is the life that we've chosen as people who still care about Saturday Night Live and the people who work there. Do I have a broken (laughs) brain or do you do this too when you hear about something like this and you're like, that's going to be awful. I do have to go. Oh, absolutely. All the time. (laughs) Good. So we're mentally ill in the same way. Everybody on that note, please go. If you enjoy the show to lighttreason.news to smash that donate button. That's how we keep the lights turned on. We pay hosting fees. We pay co-host salaries. That's how we pay for everything. Or you can go to my Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny to sign up as a member. Listen, I know times are tough for everybody, but if you like the show, if you've been listening to the show for a while and you haven't financially contributed yet, $5 a month, do you got that laying around? Kick it over to the show. Thanks so much, everybody. We so appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Oh, follow Meredith on Twitter at Meredith L. Clark. Anything else you want to promote? Uh, not at the moment. Oh, wait. Uh, don't forget to watch Monoskin on SNL. Oh, my God. Your babies. I'm so correct. I just want to say I saw this coming. You really did. A full year ago. You fully, and I knew it was going to happen. Meredith, so. Meredith Babe Ruthed it from the beginning and was like, these kids, these are the chosen ones. And they have just been ascending ever since then. Every time I see them, I'm like, it's Meredith's babies. I always think of that first. Yes. Um, yeah. In my, somehow I am, in fact, the mother of Victoria D'Angelis, uh, and her like adorable always wearing mesh and then electrical tape over her nipples. I love her, um, but I do worry about her. I hope she like um protects her nipples and doesn't just put the adhesive right over it or that she really 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 enjoys the pain when somebody rips them off. One of those two. Well, she's definitely talked about how she wears them. She she always covers the nipples because she's like, I would never wear it. She's like that stuff, but you always have to because you can't post it on Instagram. It's so silly. <laughs> Yeah, they'll take down uh, their photos if she shows her nipples. Yeah, so they got around yeah, with that. But yeah, as you know, as a woman who at 21 definitely had several instances where I ended up with electrical tape on my nipples mm-hmm. for a number, like any number of costume related mm-hmm. reasons. Uh, I just she's a kindred spirit, and I'm glad that they're carrying they, on. They seem like really great people, and I'm glad they're getting a lot of success. It's very exciting. It's very exciting to watch a band when they first start out, and then I, if you can call when you're on Eurovision first starting out, but I, in terms of like American success, and then to yes. be on SNL, that's so cool. And they're so... What I love about them is they are always at a 10 excitement level wherever they are. It's never like too cool for school. They're like, no, this is the best day of our lives. So they are going to tear up SNL. Yeah. I mean, it's just really nice to see a band that seems to want to have fun and like show emotions and like put on eyeliner and leather and sequins and sparkles and like 
be sincere. They love glam rock more than anyone who has ever lived. <laughs> I think. And I'm including the original glam rockers. Like, I don't think they were into it as much as these kids are into it. Because <laughs> they grew up, it seems like, in communities that that was not accessible or an option to them. And they really were hungry for it. And now they are just fully leaning into the aesthetics of it. And it's, it's very fun to watch. So yeah, good, good plug for, for them. Thank you. And yeah, follow Meredith on Twitter. Have a wonderful rest of your weekend. And while you're at it, if you're triple vaxxed and you got to wear your mask still, get out there and cause a little trouble. <laughs>